Hello, and welcome to the final reports on January 6th, a reading. I am your host, Robert Keniston. This is episode 28. In this episode, we'll conclude chapter 7, 187 minutes of dereliction. Reading this portion of the report will be Rob Brownstein. So, without further ado, let's continue. Stay peaceful. No one was getting through to the president. So Hirschman went to Ivanka Trump's office, hoping she would come to the dining room and be a calming influence on her father. Hirschman just sort of barged in and told her to turn on the television. After taking in a few of the violent scenes together, Hirschman and Ivanka Trump left the room and walked to the dining room, where her father was holed up. At 2.38 p.m., the president issued a tweet. Please support our Capitol Police and law enforcement. They are truly on the side of our country. Stay peaceful. Ivanka Trump told the select committee that the president did not push back on her suggestion to issue the tweet, and that it was either she or President Trump himself who suggested the last line, stay peaceful. She confirmed there may have been some tweaking of the wording. McKenney, who was in the room at the time, wrote in her notes that I say, add, we support peaceful protest. Ivanka, add, stay peaceful instead. To the select committee, McKenney echoed Ivanka Trump that the president wasn't resistant in any way to putting out the message. But in private, McKenney told a different story to her deputy, Sarah Matthews. Back in the White House press office, Matthews told McKenney that the tweet did not go far enough in condemning the violence. McKenney, noting that other staffers in the room were distracted, said in a hushed tone that the president did not want to include any sort of mention of peace in the tweet. That took some convincing on their part, McKenney said, and it wasn't until Ivanka Trump suggested the phrase, stay peaceful, that he finally agreed to include it. Ivanka Trump repeatedly returned to the dining room to counsel her father throughout the day. It's been reported that each time Ivanka Trump thought she had made headway with her father, Meadows would call her to say the president still needed more persuading, a cycle that had repeated itself over several hours that afternoon. After one such trip, Ivanka Trump told the select committee she went to her husband's office next door because she needed to regroup and collect herself. Several witnesses corroborated pieces of this account. General Kellogg said he saw Ivanka Trump coming and going from the dining room at least twice that afternoon. Hutchinson said that it was several times. Once, Ivanka Trump reportedly left her father with a look on her face as if she had just had a tough conversation. Radford, Ivanka Trump's chief of staff, saw that she was visibly upset but continued going down there when people were asking her to be down there and trying to get action taken. Radford told the select committee that Ivanka Trump believed that something should be said or put out that was even stronger. Hutchinson, too, recalled Ivanka Trump dropping by Meadows' office alongside Cipollone and talking about trying to convince her father to say something more direct than he had wanted to at that time and throughout the afternoon. I remember her saying at various points, Hutchinson said, 
She wanted her dad to send them home. She wanted her dad to tell them to go home peacefully, and she wanted to include language that he necessarily wasn't on board with at the time. 7-9. The president needs to stop this ASAP. President Trump's 2.38 p.m. tweet did not condemn the violence at the Capitol. It did not tell rioters to leave the building. In the minutes before the tweet, Fox News, on the president's screen, relayed that the Capitol was on lockdown, that Capitol police officers were injured, that rioters were in the building in just feet from the House chamber. In the minutes afterwards, networks would report there was tear gas in the Capitol, forcing members of Congress to evacuate in protective mass. At 2.39 p.m., Secret Service agents reported that more just got in. I don't know how they're going to retake the Capitol building back at this point, one agent wrote to others two minutes later. At 2.44 p.m., a Capitol Police officer shot a rioter named Ashley Babbitt. A handwritten note dashed off onto a White House pocket card and preserved by the National Archives read, One civilian gunshot wound to chest at door of House chamber. One White House employee saw the note on the dining table in front of President Trump. A barrage of text messages inundated Meadows' phone with a consistent plea. Everyone from conservative media personalities to Republican allies in Congress and even the president's own family urged the president to do more. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, 2.28 p.m., Mark, I was just told there is an active shooter on the first floor of the Capitol. Please tell the president to calm people. This isn't the way to solve anything. Laura Ingram, 2.32 p.m. Hey, Mark, the president needs to tell people in the Capitol to go home. This is hurting all of us. He's destroying his legacy and playing into every stereotype. We lose all credibility against the BLM Antifa crowd if things go south. You can tell him I said this. Mick Mulvaney, 2.35 p.m. Mark, he needs to stop this now. Can I do anything to help? Representative Barry Loudermilk, 2.44 p.m. It's really bad up here on the Hill. They've breached the Capitol. At 2.48 p.m., Meadows responded, POTUS is engaging. At 2.49 p.m., Loudermilk responded, Thanks. This doesn't help our cause. Representative William Timmons, 2.46 p.m. The president needs to stop this ASAP. At 2.49 p.m., Meadows responded, we are doing it. Donald Trump Jr., 2.53 p.m. He's got to condemn this shit. A-S-A-P. The Capitol Police tweet is not enough. Meadows responded, I'm pushing it hard. I agree. Later, Trump Jr. continued, This is one you go to the mattresses on. They will try to fuck his entire legacy on this if it gets worse. White House staff discussed issuing yet another stronger statement to address the ongoing and escalating violence. Around 3 p.m., one proposal was written in block capital letters on a pocket card for the chief of staff's office. Anyone who entered the Capitol illegally crossed out without proper authority, should leave immediately. The handwriting appears to have been scrawled quickly and somewhat messily. 
Hutchinson recalls Meadows returning from the dining room with the note in hand and placing it on her desk. The word illegally had been newly crossed out. But there would be no further action, Meadows told her. At 3.13 p.m., 35 minutes after his last tweet, the president issued another tweet. Rather than coming out with a stronger statement, the 3.13 p.m. tweet largely parroted the one preceding it. I'm asking for everyone at the U.S. Capitol to remain peaceful. No violence! Exclamation point. Remember, we, all caps, are the party of law and order. Respect the law and our great men and women in blue, capitalized. Thank you! Exclamation point. Ivanka Trump, who was in the room when her father published the message, told the select committee that the gravity of the situation made her feel that it would be helpful to tweet again. The earlier tweet didn't stop the violence, Hirschman said. This tweet, like the last one, didn't tell the writers to go home. It suggested that they remain at the Capitol, albeit peacefully. 710. We love you. You're very special. The president's tweets were not tamping down on the violence, and White House staff knew it. By 3.17 p.m., Fox News was reporting gunshots on Capitol Hill. Law enforcement officers could be seen in the House chamber pointing guns over the barricaded door. The chyron blared, guns drawn on House floor. Between 3.29 p.m. and 3.42 p.m., the network was flashing images of a protester in the presiding officer's chair, right where Vice President Pence had been sitting 90 minutes earlier. Other images showed members of Congress trapped in the House gallery, crouching below the balcony for cover. Allies continued to text Meadows, begging the president to order the mob to go home and indicating that it was time the American people hear from the president directly. Unknown, 3.04 p.m., are you with POTUS right now? Hearing he is in the dining room watching this on TV, is he going to say anything to de-escalate apart from the tweet? Rince Priebus, 3.09 p.m. Tell them to go home. Three exclamation points, all caps. Unknown, 3.13 p.m. POTUS should go on air and defuse this. Extremely important. Elisa Farah, 3.13 p.m. POTUS has to come out firmly and tell protesters to dissipate. Someone is going to get killed. Representative Chip Roy, 3.25 p.m. Fix this now. Meadows responded, we are. Sean Hannity, Fox News, 3.31 p.m. Can you make a statement? I saw the tweet. Ask people to peacefully leave the Capitol. Meadows responded, on it. Katrina Pearson, 3.40 p.m. Note, I was able to keep the crazies off the stage. I stripped all branding of those nutty groups and removed videos of all the psychos. Glad it fought it. Unknown, 3.42 p.m. Please have POTUS call this off at the Capitol. Urge rioters to disperse. I pray to you. Unknown, 3.57 p.m. Is he coming out? He has to, right? Brian Kilmeade, 3.58 p.m., Fox News. Please get him on TV, destroying everything you guys have accomplished. Donald Trump Jr., 4.05 p.m. We need an oval address. He has to lead now. It's gone too far and gotten out of hand. 
At any moment in the afternoon, it would have been easy for President Trump to get before cameras and call off the attack. The White House press briefing room is just down the hallway from the Oval Office, past the cabinet room and around the corner to the right. It would have taken less than 60 seconds for the president to get there. The space, moreover, is outfitted with cameras that are constantly hot, meaning that they are on and ready to go live at a moment's notice. The White House press corps is also situated in the West Wing, right by the briefing room. The whole affair could have been assembled in minutes. However, it was not until nearly three hours after the violence began that President Trump finally agreed to tell the mob to go home. The Presidential Daily Diary notes that President Trump left the dining room to shoot the video at 4.03 p.m. By this point, per Fox News coverage playing continually in the dining room, more law enforcement officers had arrived at the Capitol to resist the violent mob. The video shoot took place in the Rose Garden, the outdoor space that borders the Oval Office in the West Wing. The setup was not ornate, just a camera and a microphone. Luna made sure that the background and lighting looked good and that President Trump's hair and tie were in place. President Trump delivered his remarks in one take, more or less, although he stopped and restarted at one point. In all, the video took less than four minutes to shoot, and the president was back in the dining room by 4.07 p.m. I would stick to this script, McKennany told President Trump before he stepped out to film. He didn't. Kushner and others had drafted a statement, but President Trump spoke entirely off the cuff. Here's what he said. I know your pain. I know you're hurt. We had an election that was stolen from us. It was a landslide election, and everyone knows it, especially the other side. But you have to go home now. We have to have peace. We have to have law and order. We have to respect our great people in law and order. We don't want anybody hurt. It's a very tough period of time. There's never been a time like this where such a thing happened where they could take it away from all of us, from me, from you, from our country. This was a fraudulent election, but we can't play into the hands of these people. We have to have peace. So go home. We love you. You're very special. You've seen what happens. You see the way others are treated that are so bad and so evil. I know how you feel, but go home and go home in peace. A photo obtained from the National Archives shows President Trump and Hirschman huddled next to each other watching a completed take through the monitor on the video camera. There needs to be a more direct statement telling the rioters to leave the Capitol, Luna heard Hirschman yet again tell the president. Hirschman testified that he did not recall this exchange. But according to Luna, President Trump rejected the note. These people are in pain, he said in reply. Down at the Capitol, the video began streaming on a rioter's phones, and by all accounts, including video footage taken by other rioters, they listened to President Trump's command. Donald Trump has asked everyone to go home, one rioter shouted as he delivered the president's message. That's our order, another rioter responded. Others watching the video responded, he says, go home. The crowd afterward began to disperse. The video made clear what had been evident to many, including those closest to him, 
the president could have called off the rioters far earlier and at any point that day, but he chose not to do so. It wasn't until it was obvious that the riot would fail to stop the certification of the vote that the president finally relented and released the video statement made public at 4.17 p.m. 7-11. Remember this day forever. After leaving the Rose Garden, the president returned to the dining room. At 6.01 p.m., he issued another tweet, the last of the day. These are the things and events that happen when a sacred landslide election victory is so unceremoniously and viciously stripped away from great patriots who have been badly and unfairly treated for so long. Go home with love and in peace. Remember this day forever. He retired to his residence for the evening at 6.27 p.m. A White House photographer captured the president walking back to the residence with an employee in tow, carrying personal items President Trump wished to bring home with him for the night. In the employee's hands are the gloves the president was wearing while addressing the crowd at the ellipse. The president had one parting comment to the employee, the thing that was evidently occupying his mind even after an afternoon of violence before he retired to his home. Mike Pence let me down, the president concluded. 7-12. President Trump still sought to delay the joint session. Even after President Trump finally told the rioters to go home, he and his lead attorney, Rudolph Giuliani, continued to seek to delay the joint session of Congress. Giuliani began frantically calling the White House line the very minute that the president's video went up on Twitter. Failing to get through, he called back once every minute, 4.17 p.m., 4.18 p.m., 4.19 p.m., 4.20 p.m. He managed to get through briefly to Mark Meadows at 4.21 p.m. and then kept calling the White House line. At 4.22 p.m., three times on two different phones at 4.23 p.m., 4.24 p.m., and once more at 5.05 p.m. He finally managed to speak with President Trump at 5.07 p.m., and the two spoke for almost 12 minutes. After he spoke with President Trump, Giuliani's phone calls went nearly without fail to members of Congress, Senator Marsha Blackburn and then Senator Mike Lee. He made three calls to Senator Bill Haggerty, then two to Representative Jim Jordan. He called Senator Lindsey Graham, Senator Josh Hawley, and Senator Ted Cruz. Giuliani had two calls with Senator Dan Sullivan over the course of the evening. There were another three calls to Representative Jordan, none of which connected. After 8.06 p.m., when the joint session resumed, the calls to members of Congress finally stopped. Shortly afterward, at 8.39 p.m., Giuliani had one final call of nine minutes with the president. When asked about these calls during his deposition before the select committee, Giuliani initially refused to answer. Giuliani insisted his calls to members of Congress, none of whom were his client, were all attorney-client privileged. But Giuliani eventually relented. I was probably calling to see any, if anything, could be done, he said, about the vote. The vote. We know definitely what Giuliani was up to because he left a voice message for Senator Tuberville, inadvertently on Senator Lee's phone, recording his request. He wanted for you, 
our Republican friends to try to just slow it down, referring to the electoral count and delay the joint session. Here are his own words. The only strategy we can follow is to object to numerous states and raise issues so that we get ourselves into tomorrow, ideally until the end of tomorrow. So if you could object to every state and along with a congressman get a hearing for every state, I know we, we could delay you a lot, but it would give us the opportunity to get the legislators who are very, very close to pulling their vote. The president, too, was at home but he remained focused on his goal. Between 6.54 p.m. and 11.23 p.m., he spoke with 13 people, some more than once. Of the 13, six ignored or expressly refused to comply with select committee requests for their testimony. Two agreed to appear but refused to answer questions about their phone calls with the president, citing executive privilege. Two more refused to answer questions, claiming attorney-client privilege. Of the 13, five were President Trump's attorneys or lawyers who worked with him on efforts to reverse the outcome of the election, with one exception. Each of these calls took place before 8.06 p.m., when Vice President Pence reopened the joint session of Congress and resumed counting the electoral votes. The president spoke with White House counsel Pat Cipollone for seven minutes at 7.01 p.m. He spoke with Kurt Olson and Mark Martin, lawyers who both advised him on the vice president's role in the joint session. He spoke with Martin for nine minutes at 7.30 p.m. and Olson twice for 11 minutes at 7.17 p.m. and for another 10 minutes at 7.40 p.m. He spoke with Cleta Mitchell, the lawyer leading his election challenges in Georgia for two minutes at 7.53 p.m. The president spoke with Hirschman for five minutes at 10.50 p.m. Another five of the people who spoke with President Trump that night were employees or outside advisors who counseled him on communications issues. These calls, by contrast, predominantly took place after the joint session resumed. He spoke with his communications director, Scavino, twice for seven minutes at 7.08 p.m. and for 15 minutes at 9.55 p.m. He spoke with McKenney for 11 minutes at 9.42 p.m. He took calls from Steve Bannon for 7 minutes at 10.19 p.m. and Sean Hannity for 8 minutes at 11.08 p.m. At 9.23 p.m., President Trump spoke with Jason Miller, his campaign communications director, for 18 minutes. Of his own initiative, Miller had drafted a statement for the president assuring the nation that the transfer of power, despite the day's events, would indeed take place. On their call, the president pushed back on the phrasing. The president wanted the statement to promise a peaceful transition of power rather than just an orderly one. Miller rejected the change and told him why rather bluntly. That ship's kind of already sailed, he said. So we're going to say orderly transition. 713 he just didn't want to talk about it anymore. The president did not, by any account, express grief or regret for what happened at the Capitol. Neither did he appear to grasp the gravity of what he'd said in motion. In his last phone call of the night, the president spoke with Johnny McKenty, his director of personnel. This is a crazy day, the president told him. McKenty said his tone was one of like, wow, can you believe this shit? 
Did he express sadness over the violence visited upon the capital? No, McKenty said. I mean, I think he was shocked by, you know, it getting a little out of control, but I don't remember sadness specifically. President Trump didn't make any other phone calls for the rest of the night. The president didn't call Vice President Pence. In fact, President Trump never called to check on his vice president's safety that day. He didn't call the heads of any of the federal law enforcement agencies. He didn't call the leadership, neither Republican nor Democrat, of the legislative branch of government that had just been overrun by a mob. Only two days after the riot, by January 8th, the president was over the whole thing. He just didn't want to talk about it anymore, he told his press aides. He was tired of talking about it. Ivanka Trump claimed to the select committee that her father was disappointed and surprised by the attack, but she could not name a specific instance of him expressly saying it. He, well, I just felt that, she said. I, I know him really well. Here's what she could definitely say. Committee staff, has he ever expressed to you any sentiment that he did or did not do the right thing and how he responded on the day of the 6th? Ms. Trump, no. Committee staff, has he ever expressed any sentiment about something that he wished he had done on the day of the 6th? Ms. Trump, no. Committee staff, has he ever said anything to you about the people who were injured or who died that day? Ms. Trump, no. Committee staff, has he ever said anything to you about whether he should or should not continue to talk about the 2020 presidential election after the events on the 6th? Ms. Trump, no. 714, President Trump's rhetoric killed someone. The president may not have expressed regret over his behavior, but some of his most loyal supporters made the connection between his words and the violence. A member of the speechwriting team, Patrick McDonald, conceded the next day in a text that maybe the rhetoric could have been better. As the riot was in full throttle, even steadfast supporter Ali Alexander of Stop the Steal texted, POTUS is not ignorant of what his words will do. We all look like domestic terrorists now, Hope Hicks texted Julie Radford. Separately, Hicks texted Hirschman, so predictable and so sad. I know, he replied. Tragic. I'm so upset. Everything we worked for wiped away, she continued. I agree. Totally self-inflicted, he wrote. Brad Parscale, Trump's former campaign manager, texted Katrina Pearson at 7.21 p.m. on January 6th, saying the day's events were the result of a sitting president asking for civil war. This week, I feel guilty for helping him win. A woman is dead, Parscale added. You do realize this was going to happen, Pearson answered. Yeah, if I was Trump and knew my rhetoric killed someone, he said. It wasn't the rhetoric, she said. Parscale's reply, yes, it was. This podcast has been a production of 2008 Studios under a contract with SAG-AFTRA. 
Casting support services has been provided by Breakdown Services. The recordings herein are property of 2008 LLC. Any inquiries to collaborate or contact can be sent to info at 2008.com. That's info at 20-08.com. If you enjoyed what you just heard, please feel free to share this podcast. And, of course, please subscribe to be updated on future episodes. Thank you for listening.